Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Exodus chapter 5, 1 to chapter 6, 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord and our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they make in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work. Your daily task each day, as where there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you said, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, 
Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. This is the word of the Lord. Before we pray, um, I uh, our Connect Desk folks here. Anyone? Yep, great. Are there any um, Exodus uh, books left? There's one left. Okay, there's one Exodus book left. This is a race now. Uh, we have been giving out these booklets for our Exodus series, and if you want a, a um, book that has uh, some journal um, room in the margins, um, you can go and grab that uh, after the gathering and to make sure that you take it home with you and use it for the rest of our our time in our series together. <laughs> well, there's only one left. Maybe I'll see if there's some more uh, that we can bring here. But let me pray for us as we begin. Um, Lord, we come to you and we come, uh, yeah, we come needy. We come poor. We come as people um, who are your creatures, but who we know you love. We come to you as our father and we say, Father, would you help us this morning? Would you Open up your word to us. Would you please meet us here in this moment? And would you speak to us through these words, your word, your precious word? Lord, would you lift our eyes in whatever circumstance we might be in and put our faith in Jesus Christ? To trust him, to know his salvation and his presence with us. Uh, God, would you um, work in our hearts to convict us of our sin? Uh, well, that's necessary this morning. And to turn us away from it and towards obedience to you. Lord, we just ask that you would increase life in this room, in our lives, as we rely upon you and trust in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm wondering, as we begin, um, if you are somebody who's ever had the experience of having your expectations crushed by reality. Your expectations crushed by Reality. I don't know if you know this, but it's been said um, that the gap between your expectations and reality is disappointment. Or I think we could say, to a large degree, is suffering. It's a lot of suffering, a lot of disappointment in that gap between your expectations and reality. I think chapter 5 in the book of Exodus is a confrontation with reality for Moses and Aaron and God's people. So they'd heard in the previous chapter, the promises of God, just the previous two verses, the end of chapter four, it's this really glorious high moment in the story. Moses and Aaron, and they call, or Moses comes and he tells Aaron about all that God had told him. And they go and they tell the elders of the people of Israel. And they hear it. And they believe. They trust God's promises that God's acting to save them. They're excited. They're joy-filled. They rejoice in worship. But then as we get into chapter 5, I think we realize they did not expect to suffer like this. They heard that God was going to act, but they didn't expect that when the conflict between God and Pharaoh began, that they would suffer like this. As they enter 
into the conflict following God that they would suffer like this. In chapter five, I think the image that's helpful to, to grapple with is, is it's the image of entering the ring, going from ringside to going over the ropes into the conflict. And here, the people of God, they, they enter over the ropes, they get in the ring and their adversary locks eyes on them and they're dismayed at the flurry of blows that come. They're surprised. But I don't think they should have been. For a whole bunch of reasons we'll look at in this text, but also because every person who steps out in faith to follow Jesus has entered a cosmic conflict. Conflict against Satan and sin and death. And in that conflict, we ought to know that we will be opposed. As we join God in his work, we will be opposed. And that can be a very difficult moment, (laughs) realizing the opposition that we face as followers of God. What I want to do this morning is I want to show you three things in this passage that will help correct our expectations so that we can grow to follow Jesus with confidence and with courage and to have the right sort of expectations as we begin to follow him, as we step out in faith. We're going to learn through the experience of Moses and Aaron and the Israelites a few different things, three different things. We're going to learn, number one, that human sin fiercely opposes God. If we don't have that expectation, we're going to have a hard time as Christians. We're going to learn that joining the conflict, joining in God's work in this world against Satan and sin and death, that will result in our suffering. It will. And we've got to have that right as Christians as we follow Jesus. And then third, we've got to learn that suffering, suffering is an opportunity for lament. Suffering We can learn in suffering to to bring our sorrows and our prayers before God. And yet in all this, we'll see in this text that that suffering and this reality still doesn't mean that God's forgotten us. No, but all the while, he's still at work as we've been seeing already in Exodus. So we're going to jump in, have our expectations set correctly uh, at our first point, that human sin fiercely opposes God. And we'll look at verse 5, verse 1 to start. Chapter 5, verse 1 to start. There we pick up the text. It says this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. We know that that's the sign that the word there in Hebrew is Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel. Let my people go. They may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Chapter 5, verse 1, it begins with that word, Afterward. After what? Well, after what had happened in the, few, in the few verses that had come before, where the people of Israel believed God's word and God's signs through Aaron and Moses and trusted that God had come to save them and worshiped him and agreed together, this is a path that we're on. Let's move forward. Let's trust God. Let's see his salvation at work. And it was a beautiful and a glorious moment in these verses. So in verse One, I think Moses and Aaron are riding a spiritual high. God has seen us. God has acted. We've seen him answer the prayers and all the worries that we had up to this point. And now we're moving forward on this mission. They step out in faith and they say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord's an interesting phrase. It's a, it's a phrase that's used to invoke a higher authority than oneself, right? You can have the Midianite Pharaoh and this slave Aaron show up and Pharaoh ignores them completely. Or you can have the Midianite and you can have the slave come and say, actually, we're not just speaking for ourselves. Thus says the Lord. We do this in our lives as well. We invoke higher authority all the time. Uh, In my life growing up, when I was doing something mischievous and I was getting in trouble, my siblings would come to me and say, thus says dad. And I'd stop in my tracks and quickly change my behavior and uh, have things made right. For you, it might be something different. For you, it might be pull over. Thus says the Vancouver Police Department. And like, oh, okay, I'll pull over. You might have uh, some taxes due and you ignore them until you get a letter saying, pay up, thus says the CRA. <laughs> and you respond, okay, I better, I better do something about these taxes. <clears throat> See, Moses and Aaron, they speak, thus says the Lord to invoke a higher authority. And what do they say? What does God say through them? Thus says the Lord, let my people go. Sounds a little passive in English, actually. I think when we hear, let my people go, maybe you don't think this, but I was thinking about it this week. I kind of think of just uh, you know, the box, the wedding, they walk down the aisle and the butterflies go free. It's like, let, let them go. Let them just float free. Let them go. And what I want you to see is that actually in Hebrew, the text is way more intentional than that. It has way more energy behind that. It's not just let them go in Hebrew. It's, Send them to. They say literally, send them to. To what? Send them that they may hold a feast in the wilderness, a feast of worship to God, that they might begin serving Yahweh, the God of their forefathers. We're going to come back to this again and again in the book of Exodus, but it's so important to see that God is not simply about liberation to our free, determined ends. God is about calling his firstborn son out of slavery to be obedient to himself in a relationship of worship. That's what he's called to. We're going to see that again and again. And and this is a command, though, in the very first words that they're, they're throwing out against Pharaoh. Let them go. Send them out to this, to worship. And how does Pharaoh respond? Well, look at verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. I think we're supposed to hear him spitting those words out of his mouth. Saying, who is Yahweh? We got lots of gods in Egypt. I've never heard his name before, and I don't care. I don't know him. I don't believe in him, and I utterly reject his words. Who is the Lord, Yahweh, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And I think this is the first moment in real time that Moses and Aaron's expectations and reality come together on a collision course. I don't know that they knew it was going to be this difficult. 
and weren't prepared for this sort of rejection of God's words. And I think we see that in a couple of different ways because they try again in verse 3. Again, it's a very real-time, honest narrative about what's happening. In verse 3, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Maybe you didn't understand, Pharaoh. It's the God of the Hebrews. we tell you his name? Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. A little more, little more please. A little more polite this time, maybe. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now, of course, if you look back over chapter four, chapter three, you'll see God did not say that he would fall on the Israelites with pestilence and sword if Pharaoh didn't let him go. He didn't say that. So it's not clear, I think, in this text whether Moses and Aaron are just flustered by Pharaoh's refusal. I think there's a little bit of that going on. Or if they're just um, a little genuinely afraid of what might happen if he doesn't let them go right away. But in either case, I think what's going on is that Moses and Aaron are trying their best in the situation. I think they're encountering more difficulty than they anticipated. And they're, they're trying their best to communicate to Pharaoh what they've been given to communicate. But Pharaoh flatly rejects God's word. And he strikes back. Look at verses four to nine. Pharaoh says to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Notice he doesn't say Yahweh through you is taking the people away from their work. Is you guys are trying to. Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Interestingly, archaeology shows us that uh, straw was a common reinforcement for bricks back in the ancient world. And you shall no longer give them straw to make bricks. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall, you shall by no means reduce it. The quote is the same. For they're idle. And that's why they cry. Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Saying the words of Yahweh are a lie. And we'll just cover up the situation with more hard work and that will help them not to listen to lies. It's a lot. The Christ said, when we join with God as his agents in this world working life and redemption, we enter a conflict. And I think so often the disappointment and discouragement that we face is simply because we underestimate how much fiercely sin opposes the work of God. We're discouraged because we don't anticipate, we don't have the right expectations when it comes to how fiercely our human sin opposes the work of God. And here Moses and Aaron, they're they're learning that because Pharaoh utterly rejects the word of God. And also note something, we've learned that God said that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. But in this text, we're not told that he has yet. In fact, we're going to be told that later on. So already Pharaoh in his sin is just so opposed to Yahweh. 
even before God's judgment against him. But this is what sin does, Christ city. The Bible teaches us not that we're reasonable people who quickly accept God's words. It doesn't teach that just human beings, we're just really there. Where if, if God would just come and speak to us, suddenly we'd accept all that he's saying. We'd see his righteousness and his rule and his goodness and his love. We'd fall on our faces before him in repentance. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that human beings in our sin are hard-hearted toward God. That we're warped and, and bent not towards him, but away from him. That naturally we refuse God's word. And we see this most of all because what happened later in history, much later after this event, is Jesus Christ himself came into the world. God himself became a human being and he entered the world that he'd made. He came to the people that he'd created. And what did the people of that time do? Did they fall on their knees in worship and repentance? They didn't. They rejected the Messiah, God's own son. And they crucified him. When God came to him, they killed him. John 3, verses 19 to 20 say this. Jesus himself is the one who tells us this. He says, this is the judgment, the light of has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I think sometimes we underestimate that in our sin, we love the darkness. And yet, if you think about your own heart, you know this to be true. How often has sin itself been seductive to you? Drawn towards it. Loving the darkness. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Might not be a totally fitting illustration. I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, I was thinking this week, it's kind of like the way vampires react to the sunshine, isn't it? Like this is how this is how human beings react to the righteousness of God. It's like, oh, the righteousness of God. Like we, we pull away from it. We hide from it. Naturally, we turn away from God. We hate him. We love the darkness of our sin better than him. And that makes us do insane things as we oppose him. Like Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh. <laughs> He opposed God. Did he do the reasonable things that would make sense? No. He's like, more oppression and wickedness will solve this problem. Because I heard that the Pharaoh, a few generations back, he tried that when there were lots of slaves and he oppressed them. And I heard it went well. It didn't go well. (laughs) He tries the same insane thing. What's that definition of insanity? Trying the same thing again and again uh, with, with the same results or whatever. Yeah, expecting different results. And, and yet here Pharaoh tries to think the previous Pharaoh did. We'll do more work, more oppression. That will make things better. It doesn't make things better. Just leads Pharaoh into more sin. See, there's this deep sin in the human heart and it is fiercely opposed to God. And yet Christ City, know this. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. God is greater than our hearts. He's greater than the hardest sinful human heart. And he saves. He rescues. He frees from sin. But you know how he does it? He does it by calling people like you and me to faithfully share his words. To faithfully speak his words about sin. About God's righteousness. About God's judgment. About his love and his mercy and the salvation and the grace that's found in Jesus Christ alone. See, God has called us into the ring to be his witnesses. And if you are wise, you won't be surprised when you're opposed. You won't be surprised and you won't be discouraged to speak, but you'll stay faithful even when God's words are opposed, trusting that God will use his words on your mouth to accomplish all of his purposes. To stay faithful. And don't be surprised when the word of God on your lips is opposed furiously. The first thing we see in this passage is the way that Pharaoh in his sin hates the words of God that come to him. And he responds by making things worse for the Israelites. The second thing we learn in this passage is that joining God in his battle will result in our suffering. It will. After all, it was only because Moses and Aaron were obedient to God's words and went to Pharaoh and spoke to him that Pharaoh made things worse for the people. Right? It was as a consequence of obedience, joining God in the conflict. That's when suffering began to increase for the people. And they're beaten for not meeting their quota. It's like, do twice as much work and the expectations are just the same. And they don't meet the quota and, and they're now they're beaten for it. And in their suffering, the foreman of the people of Israel, they respond and they come to Pharaoh in verses 15 to 17 and 19 to 21. And they petition him. I want to show you these words and, and what we see about their expectations in these words. They come to him and they say, why do you treat your servants like this, Pharaoh? Remember that only a little while ago, they're all worshiping together that God had come to save them. Agreeing together in God's plan. All right, you guys be the mouthpiece. You go and you talk to Pharaoh, you oppose him. The whole community's together, agreeing, worshiping. Let's do this. Here they come to Pharaoh. Why do you treat your servants like this? <laughs> no straws given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh says, you are idle. You are idle. And that's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You're just lazy. And then pick it up in verse 19. The foremen of the people of Israel, they saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They're in trouble. They're suffering. And in verse 20, they meet Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. They're coming out of Pharaoh's court. Moses and Aaron are about to go in. And they said, oh, the other way around. Yeah, well, you know, at Pharaoh's court, they're meeting. <laughs> and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
They were so glad to join in God and his mission of salvation at the end of chapter four, but they weren't prepared to suffer. They weren't prepared that as they entered the conflict, that it would be hard as God began to work out their salvation. You know, the late pastor from New York City, uh, Tim Keller, he once said that 50% of our suffering is because we don't expect suffering. Talking about that same gap, expectations and reality. Isn't that a good way of saying things? 50% of your suffering is because you don't expect suffering. I think he's right about that. I think it's actually made worse in Western culture, right? Because in our culture, suffering doesn't really have a place in our lives. In our worldview, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit because the purpose and the meaning of life in Western culture is to be happy. And what does suffering do to happiness? kills your happiness. See, in our culture, we live to be happy as Western individuals. Suffering has zero place. And I think that's why we're such delicate people. That's why Western culture forms people to be very delicate, not very durable people. We don't have any way of of growing and and bearing and, and learning the place of suffering. But the Christian story is profoundly different than Western culture. Because in the Christian story, suffering has a place and it should not be unexpected. So this is what the Israelite people didn't yet understand. Their suffering did not mean that they had lost. Their suffering did not mean that God had failed. But I think they suffered more than necessary because they didn't expect to suffer very much at all as God worked his salvation. So what about you this morning? What are your expectations as a follower of Jesus or somebody that's interested perhaps in following Jesus? What do you expect life will be like following him? What do you expect it will be like? I'm wondering this morning if you've unintentionally adopted the water of the Western culture all around us and brought it on board. So you bring your expectations to Christianity that Christianity will only make my life better. That following Jesus will make my life better easier and we'll all be beautiful downhill green slopes on the way to the kingdom of God. Do you realize Jesus told his disciples these words in John 15, 18 to 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Grace City, if we are faithful as followers of Jesus, we will suffer because we are followers of Jesus. We live in a country where there's not outright persecution, praise God. But if you are faithful as a follower of Jesus, there'll be all kinds of situations that you will face. Where you will face opposition and hardship because you are a follower of Jesus. See friends, the reality is, this is why Western culture kind of fails. The reality is that everyone in this world will suffer. Everybody. 
But Jesus has put an opportunity before you today. He's offered you to choose the only kind of suffering that is both meaningful and full of joy. To choose a suffering with purpose, a suffering with glory. I don't know if you know this, but the apostles in the Bible, when they were persecuted in Acts chapter 5 for following Jesus, for preaching about Jesus, they were beat, they were imprisoned. And when they were released in Acts 5, 40 to 41, we're told they left the prison rejoicing, full of joy, just thankful. God, thank you that we were beaten today because we were counted worthy to suffer with Jesus and for Jesus. Thank you. We praise you. Sounds so strange to us, but it's true. It's what happened. I don't know if you know this, but the apostle Paul, who suffered immensely as a follower of Jesus, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10, that he was someone who was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful. There's suffering, but there's great and there's deep joy. Why is that? Well, for three reasons. I'm going to give you, well, at least three reasons. These are three reasons I thought of looking at just this reality in scripture. But here's three reasons why the Christian suffering can be so full of purpose and full of joy. First, because when we suffer for Jesus, guys, we come to know him more sweetly and more intimately. Come to know him. Paul says it's in this suffering that we have fellowship with Jesus in Philippians 3 verse 10. Why is that? How can that be? That seems strange. It's because Jesus himself, he suffered to see God's kingdom built. He suffered so much. And so as we then join with him in the battle, in the kingdom, suffering to see the chains of sin and darkness and Satan broken, suffering and laboring to see the gospel shared with lost people who are deep and stuck and mired in the misery of their sin. As we work to expose the lies of the enemy in our own city, with our own friends, as we declare the righteousness of God, as we face opposition for these things, we grow in our fellowship with Jesus, who's done all these things fully and completely in his earthly life before us. And we come to know his heart. Jesus, I can see now what you've gone through. I see now the way that you've labored for what is so good. I'm growing close to you, joining in what you've already done. Coming to know you, Jesus. And by his Holy Spirit within us, he's with us. He comforts us. And our relationship with him increases. First, Christians have a unique and beautiful kind of suffering because We come to know Jesus sweetly in that suffering. But second, Christian suffering is meaningful and full of joy because as we suffer with Jesus, for Jesus, we share in the fruit of the kingdom. And that's joyful. It's only as we join in laboring with Jesus, that, friends, that we have the joy of holding hands with someone. And praising Jesus as they come to faith in him. It's only as we labor in this kingdom for Jesus that we have the joys of of comforting someone in their sorrows with the comfort that we ourselves have first received from God. 
to look at the way that they're encouraged in the gospel, encouraged in their faith. That we labor in the kingdom we share in its fruit as we watch Christian brothers and sisters grow in maturity. As we watch God's kingdom advance. These things are rejoicing. Can I add another one? It's only as we labor in the kingdom that we come to a Sunday morning, not just to go through the motions of our Christian faith, but to come to rejoice and worship, declare the praises of God and to be strengthened in our own faith in him so that we're strengthened to go out the next week again in the conflict where this moment is a precious, joyful moment because we've been laboring with Jesus. This is a third reason Christian suffering is so meaningful and full of joy. It's because we are headed for infinite, unfading glory. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Can't even hold a candle to it. Yeah, we're going to suffer. But we'll have joys. And it won't even compare at all to the kingdom that we'll be part of. The presence of Jesus we look forward to forever. And of course, we see that in Jesus' own life and his death and his resurrection. Because Jesus suffered more than any other human on the mission of God in this world. And yet, it wasn't in spite of his suffering, but because of it, that he was highly exalted. That he was raised up to the right hand of God worshipped and exalted. And that teaches us the same principle that the cross always comes before the crown, that suffering comes before glory, that death comes before life. See, suffering has a place in the life of a Christian. That is a powerful truth to hold on to. It's so meaningful. It's such a witness to the world around us that has no place for suffering. We don't live that way, Christ. We're not to live that way. We're to joyfully consider the loss of all things for the sake of knowing Jesus. And at the end, we'll have infinite, eternal joy. When we die or when Christ returns, whichever comes first, we'll look up and we'll see our face, Savior face to face. And we'll know that moment, he looks up at us and says, well done. Well done. My good and my faithful servant. So Christ City, are you afraid to sacrifice for Jesus? Don't, I plead with you. Don't let the fear of suffering keep you from the greatest of all joys. But as we look back at our passage, we do know and we do see that suffering is hard. It's not a small reality. Especially when it's unexpected. But Moses' experience I think teaches us what we should do when the grief and the disappointment and the questions and the anger that come from our suffering, when, when they fill our heart, what do we do with all of that? 
right? Because suffering can be so hard and our hearts really truly do react to it. Well, our third point I want to show you now is that suffering is an opportunity for lament. We need to learn to lament Christ's city. Look at Moses' words in verses 22 to 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you've not delivered your people at all. See, suffering produces grief and questions in us. But you need to know something. In the Bible, Christ City, questions and grief, even complaint, even anger, that's okay. It's okay to bring all of that to God. He welcomes it. To God is a God who understands our sorrows and our pain and knows what it's like to live, to work, and to struggle, and to suffer even. And Jesus Christ is God. He came to earth and he lived a perfect human life and he suffered a lot following and obeying God as a human being. Right? God understands it's difficult. And he welcomes us as we come to him with honest prayers. So I think... We're not meant to read Exodus 5, 22 to 23 too negatively. I think Moses in his grief is doing the right thing. In his confusion, he turns to God in prayer. Moses laments. You don't know what lament is. It's a kind of prayer and there's a lot of them in the Bible. Lament is this unfiltered, honest coming before God in our suffering, in our grief, with our questions, with our complaints. There's different estimates, but anywhere from 30 to 70%, depending on how you categorize lament, of the Psalms is lament. Let's just say 50. That's a nice middle number. 50% of the Psalms is lament. That's a lot of the Psalms. A lot of the prayers that are in the prayer book in the Bible are this kind of prayer. And that ought to encourage us. Not to encourage us and actually to correct us as well, because we do a couple of things that are wrong in our suffering. I don't know if you know this. What do you do when you suffer a lot as a Christian? Well, I do a couple of things. Either I complain a lot to people, right? I get together with you guys and like, man, it's just so hard. It's awful. I don't know what God's doing. (laughs) My life sucks. It's terrible. (laughs) And just unleash and unload. Or I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. How are you doing, Brett? Fine. No, I'm totally cool. It's all good. I bury it down deep. Bury it deep. I'm really upset, but I will not let it come to the surface. I push it down. Bury it down. See, I think what we naturally do in our suffering is we, we tell other people about it and complain a lot. We lash out even. Or we bury it. We bury it. But what does God want for us? Something so much better. He wants us to come to him like Moses did. He wants us to talk to him about it. To pour our hearts out before him honestly in our grief and our sorrow. Because God knows that it's as we come to God openly and honestly. That's when he starts to work in our hearts. Our hearts start to open up because we're talking to God. And the relationship is going on. And he starts to comfort us and move us and to correct us, to to teach us and to work in us to trust him even in the darkest days of our sorrow. So let me encourage you. Actually, no, this isn't an encouragement. This is a challenge. This is a correction. This is a rebuke. 
Let's go all out. This is a rebuke. Guys, don't be too holy for God. Don't be too holy for God. It's a way that in our pride, we're like, I will not come to God as he's made a way for me to do in prayer. Do not do that. Don't refuse to come to God honestly. He wants a relationship with you, but he wants a real relationship with you. Would you come to him in prayer? I started doing this, by the way, um, in a couple of different ways, but what first helped me was a prayer journal. People told me I should do prayer journals for forever. I ignored them for forever. Finally, there's so much going on in my heart, I had to get it out. And I just started by writing, God, I am so angry, I can't even speak. And then the pen just started to go. And just flew. By the time I got to the end, I'd seen some of my sin. God broken through and I was able to confess some of that. I was able to, to turn to him and trust. To see, to just see a glimmer of what he's doing and to begin to, to move forward. Come to God and lament. You know, even here in Moses' lament, it turns out that he had a lot of reasons to be trusting God still, even if he'd forgotten them. I think we can see that easily from our vantage point because we just flip back a page, right? We flip back a page in our Bibles and we see that even Moses' suffering, even the people's suffering, it was not outside of God's plan. As God had already said in chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, but I know, Moses, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. He'll not let you go unless I compel him to. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And he said in 421, but I will harden his heart so he will not let the people go. See, God had already told Moses what would happen. See, friends, the presence of suffering here or in our lives, it does not mean for one moment that God has abandoned us. And we know that in particular because that's not what it meant for Jesus. Because on the darkest day of all suffering in the history of the world, the day when God the Son, Jesus Christ, had been betrayed by his close friend Judas, abandoned by his followers and left to die and hung on the cross, that day, Jesus suffered. Suffered. And on the cross, you know what Jesus did? He lamented. He cried out to God in the words of a lament psalm. Psalm 22 said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even there on the cross, friends, had God abandoned Jesus? No. Was this suffering outside of God's plan? No. The opposite is true. Because Jesus' death on the cross was how God had planned to accomplish the redemption of the world and the forgiveness of our sin. And that should give you courage in your own suffering. Both to imitate Jesus, to lament to God in your suffering, but also to trust God. That even in the darkness you're facing, God has not abandoned you. His purposes are still good and at work. And of course, as Moses cries out to God, 
God hears him. God answers. God didn't explain everything that was going on and all the suffering, but he did call Moses to trust that he'd not forgotten him. He'd not forgotten his people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. This is just round one. Moses was dismayed by the flurry of blows that came his way. This was just round one. God was still at work. See, Christ City, when we look at a text like this one, as we listen to the Bible's teaching about suffering, the irony is that there is no safer, no more rewarding, no more joy-filled place to be than in the ring serving God in his kingdom. We're afraid sometimes to get in the ring, but there's no safer, joy-filled, more rewarding place to be than in the ring with God. Working his purposes of redemption, his power working through us. But if we are to bear the blows that will come as we stand in the strength of our God, we must have our expectations right. We must know the hard-heartedness of human sin. We must know the suffering that we will face. We must know how to lament. We must be confident in the victory that Christ is raised from the dead. That he is with us now by the presence of his spirit. That all of his promises will surely be fulfilled. That he is coming again and that nothing will separate us from his love. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we confess um, we are easily cowed and made fearful in this world as your people. Lord, far too easily we've become like our Western culture and and we just don't have any place for any suffering, even the simplest kind of suffering in our lives. And yet, Lord, you've called us to give all that we are, all that we have to you and to seek first your kingdom. But I pray that you do a work in our hearts that you would deal with our fear and you would make us courageous in Jesus' name. To go out into the world in the joy of the gospel, to know that you are work at work, you are at work through us to accomplish your purposes. Oh Lord, do a work in us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we would be used by you. Lord, that those who do not know Jesus yet in our neighborhood would have so many people telling them the gospel from this church that they would hear true words of life that they'd put their faith in Christ. Lord, would you strengthen us to sacrifice and to serve? Lord, would you encourage us? Would you bless us with the knowledge of your presence as we trust you? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.